Turn with me over to the book of Proverbs. We're going to talk today about Solomon and David, and the title of the sermon is Daddy Used to Say. Daddy Used to Say. Proverbs 4, verse 1 through 9. Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. As we're turning there, I realize now all the women are looking at their husbands saying, how come you don't do that? I'm sorry, guys. Happy Father's Day. Let's just keep it on a good note. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. Verse 3, when I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, verse 5, acquire understanding. Do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you, love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Verse 8, prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Lord, help us as we study your word today. Three things we want to talk about today regarding this passage. One, what it means to guard. Two, what it means to gain. Three, what it means to grow. The interesting thing about this passage is that Solomon is talking about what his daddy taught him. And he does this from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 9. The sayings that my father taught me. Now most of Proverbs from chapter 10 on are Solomon's teachings. But rarely is it acknowledged that David did all the groundwork to give Solomon wisdom. We don't highlight much of David's fathering in Scripture because there aren't a whole lot of examples of it. He had a couple sons that didn't do as right as they should have. And those pretty much color his entire parenting. But David was a really good dad. As evidenced by the fact That, number one, he told his son some really good stuff. Listen to me now. I want you to get this because you read your Bible in such a religious way that you forget the context. Everything about this passage is acquire wisdom, get understanding, and sayings that my father taught me. Solomon doesn't even use the name of the Lord in this. And yet it's it's inspired to such a degree in line with truth that God goes ahead and takes whatever David taught Solomon and makes it scripture. I don't know if y'all got that. Fathers, you ought to be able to say stuff to your children in such a way that they don't question that it came from the throne without you telling them, God told me. There ought to be no distinction between what you say and what he says, what you think and what he thinks. No distinction. So that when they see you, They have a reflection of the Father. We read this so much that we think the my and and, and all the exhortations are directly from God. But the my, M-Y here, is not capital M with respect to what God is saying. Later on, chapters 10 through 12, sometimes it's a capital, which represents the Father God. 
But here it's all lowercase, which means this is what my daddy taught me, but it was so good that God said, I'm going to make it a part of my word in such a way that it seems like I taught Solomon. But it was really David. I pray that your wisdom comes out like that. That your children, when they walk away, saying, this is what daddy taught me. And it sounds so much like God as somebody said, is that a scripture? Is that a scripture? Sounds so much like God. Let your voice, daddies, be like that. David loved God so much that his voice sounded like him. That should be the goal of every dad. And not only the voice, the tone, the voice inflection. The how of what you say. All those things are really important because communication is more than just grammar. It's, it's body language. It's, it's facial uh, construction and, 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 and fur-browing and, and, and smiling and, and all the things necessary to communicate everything that you want rather than just word. Parents, dads, please let your voice be an echo of what God has said to your children. Too many dads are such a bad reflection of what fatherhood should be that when a, when a child grows up and they hear the word, father, with respect to God, they say, I don't want nothing to do with it. There's a whole movement out there on the internet to wipe out Father's Day because so many kids are mad at their dads. Why in the world do we celebrate this kind of autocratic rule. No accountability. Do what they want. They seem to have supreme authority under their roof and bad stuff happens. You don't know what my dad did to me. I get it. The problem is this. There are no perfect dads. And some are less perfect than others. I can't say that my dad was even close. I love him. Honor him every day of my life. Wouldn't have wanted a different dad. But he didn't know anything about God. He didn't read his Bible. He didn't go to church. And so he did with what he had. And he didn't have much. But I'm grateful for the devotion that he gave to me. I'm grateful for the love. I'm grateful for all of the attention that he gave. As he could. I mean, most of his attention was centered around my sports activities. And so he never missed a game I played, ever. High school, junior high, grade school, college. He flew to a small little college where I played football called Bethany in the middle of Kansas on a, on a, on a, on a, a little bi, bi, what do you call it, biplane. It just had one propeller on it. And, and, and it, 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 we landed at a strip about 15 miles away and drove down. And this was my first game as a freshman. And I was on special teams. I got on the field about six times. And my dad spent about four grand to come see me. I mean, I just, you're amazing. But he didn't know a thing about discipleship. He didn't know a thing about disciplining me. He didn't know a thing about teaching me. He did what he could. And some of the phrases that I, that I remember about my dad, I, I don't think they probably could be inscripturated, in, in not, probably not, not close like, like the one, the one I, I remember the most is when, when my dad would tell me things that I, it, it seemed to be a little incredulous. It just was, uh, you know, kind of overblown. And I was like four or five. And I said, Dad, is, did, did Dad really? I questioned his, his story. And he said, listen to me, boy. 
I knew something was coming when he called me boy. He said, if I tell you a grasshopper's a horse, get your saddle. don't know if that justifies lying or I'm not okay got it whatever you say whatever comes out of your mouth is gospel I get it yeah I don't find that in the Bible but I do know this that there were things that my dad did did with me that I'm forever grateful for forever grateful but he wasn't real wasn't wasn't the wasn't real, a real example of a great husband. And as a result, he couldn't be an example of a great dad. Mom and him didn't really get along much, primarily because of my dad's mess-ups. All I knew was fighting every day in my house. Every day. In fact, it was only one day when there wasn't. And my mother and father kissed one another one day. And my, my brother and my sister and I we jumped up on the bed, hollered and screamed like it was all of our birthdays on the same day, along with Christmas. It's the only day it would ever happen. Every other day was a loud holler and screaming, throw down fight. Every day. So my dad didn't have it all, but what he had, he gave. So whatever you have against your father, I get it. But at some point I realized I don't need to get everything from my dad anyway. I got another father who cares for me deeply, who's provided for me in ways that sometimes I neglect or don't notice because I'm so looking at what this guy either did or did not do. And I forget what he did for me. And so when I got born again, I began to put all of my daddy issues to the side. And I began to concentrate on what he did rather than what he didn't do what I benefited from rather than the liabilities and the fact that I was breathing. That's a pretty good benefit. I know you got to come down to the least common denominator sometimes to find the goodness in your parents. I get it. But please understand, it's worth it to get there because you become grateful even for the small things. And gratefulness seems to root out bitterness, anger, resentment. It, it, there's no room anymore when you're saying thank you. And I began to say thank you to my dad. Wrote him a song, album, dedicated to his name. I can sing just a little. Did a whole album for him. Came home at Christmas one day. Played it for him. Had it cued in my, my uh, cassette player. As soon as he walked in the door, my mother and father were divorced, so he only came over at holidays. And I played it for him. He said, who's that? I said, it's me. He said, boy, you can sing. He never heard me sing, ever. And the song was about him, a song I wrote. That began to melt the ice of our relationship because it had gotten really cold when I decided not to become a dentist that he wanted me to become because he was one and go into the ministry. And for the period of about four to five years, he didn't talk to me. Oh, we talked, but it was only about the Kansas City Royals and the Chiefs and the weather. Nothing of substance. And the things that he said to me as a result of my decision to go into ministry were less than fatherly in their encouragement. It was more like, you're a failure, you're nothing, and you never will be anything. 
And he said that to my brother who had the misfortune of coming home from his first semester of school with very poor grades. So daddy was very, very angry at both of us. And he said, don't ever come home, pointing to me like him. Not good. But I didn't take that as an offense. I realized he was mad at a lot of other stuff other than the fact that I was going into ministry. And so I said, Lord, give me an opportunity to minister to him. Help me. I'm not going to take offense. And that's when I began the process of being the reconciler to the offended rather than being the offended who needed reconciling. I became the aggressor in love rather than the one who said, you need to tell me you're sorry before I can ever get right. You need to apologize before I can ever get right. Didn't need it. God had healed me. And as a result, I could become a healer. This is why Jesus said when somebody slaps you on one side, turn to him the other because the other side didn't hurt. This side is. That side's not. You can always turn to somebody the side of you that is healed. There's your humanity. Your humanity is hurt. But your godness is not. I turned to my dad, my godness. That which was like Christ on the inside of me, not much, but whatever residual presence of God I had on the inside of me, I let him have it all. Long and short of it, after a period of, oh, somewhere around eight or nine years, my dad came to live with me because he was no longer healthy. And he died in my home. I cared for him for the last three years of his life. But during that time, the thing that he hated the most, my ministry, he hated it so much because he was a dentist. I was accepted to the school from which he graduated in Nashville, Tennessee. I, was, I had a seat there. He had pulled some strings, which didn't need to be pulled because I had good grades, but he made sure that I had a seat in the school from all the people that were running the school that were his, his, his peers when he was at school. And I chose not to go and go into the ministry. And I was supposed to, when I went to dentistry school, take over his practice and... Uh, wouldn't have been a bad idea financially because I had no overhead. He paid for everything. All the equipment was there. I pay his retirement, and I'm set. At 25, I'm making about 110 a year in 1985. That ain't bad. That's pretty good. And I turned all that down, which meant I turned down his opportunity for retirement. Not pretty. He hated my ministry. When he became sick, he came to live with me. I cared for him. He didn't tell me how sick he was. Wouldn't. He had passed out one day. Took him to the hospital and said, your dad's got lung cancer. He smoked all his life. For the next six months, cared for him like he cared for me when I was a baby. But while he was with me, the ministry that he hated so much was now supporting him. Meaning everything that the church was, and it wasn't much. We were only 53 people back then, and most of those 53 didn't like me. It was, it was rough. It was a rough period. I don't have time to go into our history at that point, but it was a rough period in the life of our church. I had just become senior pastor. The senior pastor had left. These folk didn't know whether I could do it. I didn't know whether I could do it. And, and that cynicism was just living in the church with people looking at one another every day, thinking, are, are you going to be here next week? You're going to be here next week? 53 people. One of those 53 was my dad because he had gotten born again. I baptized him in the tub of my house. And he was the only one I could look in the eye 
and realize he's not leaving. He's not leaving. It was a good moment of reconciliation during that three years because um, we were watching TV one day and this is after he had given his life to the Lord and gotten baptized and was a part of my church. And I mean, he would sit on the front row cheering me on every day. And I was a terrible preacher. <laughs> I was terrible. I was terrible. But he would sit and just... And one day we were watching TV and a football game. And uh, he just, out of the blue, said, well, I guess it worked out okay, didn't it? <laughs> now, I had no context. And I was looking at the game. I thought somebody made a good play, and the team that he was interested in really, and I didn't know what he was talking about. So I looked at him in the eye, and he looked at me with one of those looks that says, you ought to know what I'm talking about. Because my dad was of that generation that, hey, he didn't say he loved you. He, he didn't say, I'm proud of you. He just expected you to, to make good and figure out that that's what he wanted you to do. So when he said, I guess it worked out okay, huh? That meant, I'm really sorry for doubting you all those years and calling you what I called you. I'm, I wish that hadn't happened. I'm really grateful that you took me in and are caring for me. Boy, look at you. You're senior pastor now, and although you've only got 60 people who hate you, it's a good thing. You're in charge. <laughs> You're, you're really in charge. It, it's good. You're working it. I'm proud of you and how you're persevering through this difficulty. You're a good dad. You love your wife. You're an excellent husband. And although I wanted you to be a dentist, this seems to be a great option for you. Guess it worked out okay, huh? I looked at him and said, yeah, dad, I guess it did. My point is, if you grow up soaking your parents... If you grow up, so can your parents. Don't be mad at dad. Don't be mad at mom. They only gave you what they had. That's all they had. And if they didn't have it, they couldn't give it. And if they had pain, they gave that to you too. Don't be mad. You've got God who can heal you and make you better every day. Here we've got Solomon and David in this dance of a father and son is really, really special. And David has now taught his boy so much about wisdom and understanding that Solomon has become the smartest and wisest man ever. Ever. Of Solomon, God said, because of what David did and the combination of Solomon's wisdom to seek God because of David's input, God said in 1 Kings 3, I will make you the wisest man who has ever been. There will be none who are wiser before you, during your generation, or anybody who comes after you. That's not independent of David's input. That's not just a download from heaven. That's because Solomon had a really good dad. Dads, you can help your children become great. Your job is not just to pay the bills, to provide a roof, make sure they've got food and clothing, good education. Your job is to give input and to impart. Now Solomon says this, when I was just a kid, he said a son, but the word there also means child, and then to define it even better, tender in the sight of my mother. 
He's talking about just a little boy, four or five years old, because he, David passed when Solomon was so young that nobody thought he could be king. Everybody else who were older brothers from David's other wives, in fact, one guy actually postured himself as king named Adonijah, thinking that surely Solomon can't. So he couldn't have been 18 or 19, approaching adulthood where he could go to war. Uh-uh. Everybody would have thought he's old enough. He had to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 15. That, and, and David had passed by this time when Solomon became king. He anointed him, and then he passed. So we're talking about Solomon only had 15 years maybe of David, David's parenting. That's it. He didn't have 25 or 30. So when Solomon's thinking about what David taught him, David taught him at a very young age. Dads, don't leave all of the, the instruction to mom simply because the kids are so small. You think, well, when they get to be 15 or 16, then I can take them. Well, they may not want you then. 15, 16, they got their own life. They're pretty independent. And, and in fact, they think you're pretty stupid now. Yeah, they, they don't think you're really smart until about 28. You become a genius then. When they have to be an adult and they realize you've done this for like 30 years, they go, how did you do that? How do how you pay bills? How do you pay bills? How do you do that? <laughs> but at 16, they think they know everything and you know nothing. Nothing do you know. You're an idiot. You're a very smart idiot, but you're an idiot. You are irrelevant. So you better get them when they're younger. You want, to, you want to make sure that you can make an imprint when the cement is wet. Otherwise, you might have to force it too hard. And that force is painful to a 16-year-old. When I was tender in the sight of my mother, my daddy said these words to me. You ought to be able to impart something, but you can only impart what you've got. So, you need to read your Bible every day. It's not just about you. It's about who you're raising. And you need to grow up so they can. If they have a better dad, they'll be better kids. Don't blame their, their stupidity and, and rebellion on them. It's you. It's you. Now, yes, discipline them. Oh, we are a church that believes in spanking. Yes, I know everybody out there is shying away from it and moving and thinking that somehow violence is being perpetrated on a child when you spank them. It's, no, it's not. <laughs> Wisdom is being given to a child when you spank them. <laughs> Wisdom! It is scientifically proven, not, that there are nerves that come down from here and go all the way straight to the brain. Somehow understanding is gained beyond your ability to just verbalize a no when you do that. <laughs> I'm telling you. Solomon understood these things and got it from his daddy. And what's amazing is that he remembered them. I know your kids may not act like they're listening. But you keep pressing in love with truth. They won't forget. They won't forget. Solomon remembered 
Six straight chapters of what his daddy said. Six straight chapters. And probably more. And everything after that came from what his daddy said. My goodness. Impart, dads. Spend time. I know you're on 66 for like four hours in a day. But don't you let your tiredness rob you of the opportunity to spend 15 minutes with your kids before they go to sleep. If, if you can sing to them, sing worship songs and say, not off. I did that every night for 15 years. Until my kids were so old, they said, please, Dad, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, really good. I told them stories every night. Stories that are Bible-oriented and stories that were fictional. Uh, stories of the black tornado, that, that was me. Superman had nothing on me in my stories, I'm telling you. They loved every moment of it. When they were young, I, I left an impression in their soul. Unfortunately, the beauty of partnering with the grace of God, because good parenting is no guarantee that you're going to produce good kids. No guarantee, none. There is nothing about humanity that can produce anything that is Godward. Nothing about humanity that can produce anything that looks like kingdom in and of itself. We have to have the grace of God partnering with our strength to be able to produce what we want. And so it's not just because I was a better dad than I ever thought I could be, though I may not have been the best. In fact, I know I wasn't. It was, it was where, where I knew I was weak, he was strong. God, fix this because I can't. I'm not good enough yet. I need your help because they don't have as good of a dad as they need to have. But I need you to come alongside and do what only you can do and replace my weakness with your strength, please. Reinforce. Give them dreams and visions about what they're supposed to be where I'm inspiring, inspiring them in the right direction. Come alongside and do the amen, please, because I'm not enough for them. Solomon had that benefit. Now, he, he goes on to talk about, you know, I haven't even started my sermon. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I, the first point is guard. I haven't even gotten there. But I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Let's pray.